is Entrepreneur Radio. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. All right. I have a special guest. I got him. I got him in, in the real man, the real thing, not a recording of him, the real guy, Chase Jarvis. Hey, Alan, <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate it. So people say, you know, what are you, why are you so excited? You come right on the show and you're like, wham, bam, it's Chase Jarvis. Well, I, I have to blow the bugle for you, brother, because you are working so hard, doing so much, so many good things. Who is he? He's an award-winning photographer, director. He's a media maven, co-founded Creative Live back in 2010 to share free creative education with aspiring artists and entrepreneurs worldwide. So many things. The guy has worked with Nike and Apple and Red Bull and Starbucks and tons of Fortune 100 companies. You're an animal, and I know you want to talk about the future of education. I was one of those guys that I didn't do really well in school. But I excelled immediately. I mean, like a rocket out of school because I was finally set free to go and do something with what I had learned, the things that I did learn in school that I loved, which, believe it or not, was art. And I think sports were really important to me. I played water polo and swam. So the disciplines from sports, some real, real basic math, one and one equals 11 in my book, right? Because, you know. So I, I think that, you know, I want to talk with you about so much, but first of all, I want to thank you for the daily creative show that you've been doing, that you've been sharing with us, that we use, that we've been using for the last number of weeks, where people can call in and ask questions and you answer them. And it's like, man, it's like machine gun effect. You answer them so fast and efficiently. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. I'm psyched to be on the show. It was good when we, you know, pressed paths not too long ago as part of your show and damn, happy to be here. And the Daily Creative has been so fun. You know, what's one of the things that we all realize is there's so many, we keep our problems inside. And yet when you let them out there, we realize that we all have so many of the same problems and that answering someone else's question often helps each and every one of us figure something out in our lives. It's like, it's the basis for critique in art school. It's the basis for teardowns in business school. It's the basis for case studies is, you know, sharing the challenges and then we can all learn from overcoming them. So that show has been a ton of fun. And thanks a lot for being the host that facilitates that, man. I appreciate yeah. it. No, no, listen, it's all good. I, I, like you, I am anxious to learn. I mean, you know, when you learn something, you want to take it and share it with all your friends, right? Yep. And so I, you and I both, we share that. We have that same twinkle in our eye and we love what we do, but I don't honestly know how you do what you do. And, and I people say that to me all the time, but I think when you're passionate about something, man, you have endless energy. Although I know I sleep good at night and I'm sure you do too. <laughs> well, I'm starting to now. I didn't sleep well because I didn't take care of myself for a oh. long time. I thought that it was uh, genetics to only sleep four or five hours a night, but then I realized I was not doing myself the biggest debt of gratitude, which, you know, you got to put your own oxygen mask on before assisting other passengers. So I'm right. getting better at sleeping, and that's in part because I put some effort there. But, indeed, I feel a lot the same that you do about school and for the folks who perform well inside and out. And that's the thing. I'm. Isn't it cool when you, you, know, you reference learning? Isn't it cool that now there are so many ways and places to learn something and it's the first time that I can recall in the last, you know, in my lifetime at least, where it's really, it's cool to put your hand up and say, I don't know, and then go learn it. To me, that's one of the best qualities of millennials is they want to do so many things at the same time. 
And I think it's a response to the world, right? It's, it's like if our parents had one job, we're going to have five, and the next generation has five at the same time. So how right. do they get those skills, acquire those skills? And to me, that's the basis of Creative Live. That's why I started it. You know, the world's largest online learning hub for creatives and entrepreneurs is because I myself am a lifelong learner. And more importantly, the people that I am the most impressed with that I, I'm excited to call friends and to run around with. And I think so many of the people who the folks at Entrepreneur and, and all these different sort of online hubs for where entrepreneurs congregate, where the folks that they look up to, they're all lifelong learners. Interesting. Well, you know, I, I tend to play this particular song from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and uh, it's it's it, it reminds me of you. It reminds me of me. It reminds me of us who had the courage to not lose our personalities and our, our things we loved through the education process, which sometimes will dumb you down. Oh, yeah. um, I want to talk about education with you and sure. the future of that. We're talking with Chase Jarvis, everybody, founder and CEO, Creative Live, creativelive.com. Also, you can find him. He does the Daily Creative Show. He does the Chase Jarvis Live Show. He's, there's so much going on. You can find him, though, at creativelive.com. We'll take a little break. Come back with the real, the real Ferris Bueller. His name's Chase Jarvis. We'll be right back. I feel good because I've got Chase Jarvis on the line. He is the founder at <laughs> CreativeLive.com. Uh, before we get into the future of education, as I call it, um, I'm just curious, Chase, first of all, um, you know, you have you have been busy for probably 25 years nonstop. Have you not? I'm one of those people that feels energized when they're doing something. So, yeah, I think it's been a life mission to – to hustle. And, you know, hustle is, I don't want to invoke the word du jour, but uh, I think hard work and doing the work that you love, those two things combine to make a rich life. What do you do that you don't consider to be work or part of your entrepreneurial lifestyle? Is there something, I mean, you know, a, a pottery, making jewelry, collecting snail shells, I don't know, whatever. Is there something? Well, I think, well, yeah, that's like, to me, that's a part of the equation that is flawed. And it's looking back, there used to be work time, and then there was not work time. And there's a lot of really important research that is specifically used to trade like the, the work hours. And one of the reasons we have the length of workday we do, there's all kinds of robust history that says that you literally were trading your health for work. Think about coal mines and stuff. They would compensate you for hours worked and hours worked were considered hours lost from your life. Like that's where a lot of that Whew. laws and regulations and that stuff comes from. Right, and right. to me, that is so historical and so completely out of whack. To me, if you're working on things that you love with people you love, sure, is there a hardship around there? Yeah, but there's also hardship in love and relationships and things that were historically thought of as way outside of work. So to me, of course, not everything. My relationship with my wife isn't bound up in work, but a lot more of my life than I think, you know, certainly more than eight hours a day and certainly more than, you know, it's not starting at nine and ending at five. But that's by design because I spend my time working on things that I care about with people that I love and around areas where impact, which is one of the things that I want to have in my life, all can come together. So, yeah, hard work and working on things that matter to me are it's a really important part. So there's not something that I cleave. I mean, there's a part of my life which I keep private, but 
Not much. <laughs> I know. Well, I could see that because you live your life on video and radio and in front of the cameras. And, and, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your life with us because, you know, all I can say is being in front of the camera, in front of the microphone, as I have in my life, my kids always say to me, I have four kids. They're all grown adults now. And my one son said the other day, he says, Dad, he says, you live your life on a stage. And I, I thought to myself, wow, you know, maybe that's what it seems like to others. But I don't think so. I think life is a stage. I mean, we're all being watched by somebody. There's never, unless you're completely alone, but even then the creator's watching you. So we have to, you know, be mindful of who we are and what we're doing and what our purpose is in this life. But thank you for, for sharing your life with us, Chase. Oh, man. I'm so happy to be doing it. And it's also, it's by design, I think. Uh, and I'm trying to do not just the pretty parts. There's plenty of warts and all, sort of the underbelly. But generally speaking, like... Uh, I've yeah chosen to try and find the things that I like and am good at and put those out and try and find the things where I've made, you know, there's a, a popular post and a popular line of thinking and narrative that I've shared about, you know, my I had a billion-dollar business mistake, and it, not a lot of people can point to something like that, but that's an example of <laughs> the part that's on stage when it doesn't go so well. It's, uh, <laughs> A, it helps others you know, feel more comfortable sharing their vulnerability. And it's not like I'm a pro at saying it all, all the things I suck at because we all are editing our life in some way, shape, or form. But I don't know. I think it's a really interesting time of life that we're in right now or time of technology and the democratization of tools and the ability to share your life. To me, that's a, an interesting time right now, and I'm trying to make use of those tools. And I am also inspired by a lot of other people doing the same. Yeah. Uh, what he's talking about there, that billion-dollar mistake, uh, Chase is widely recognized for creating Best Camera, the world's first photo app to share images to social networks, which kicked off the mobile photography sharing craze. And, you know, uh, <laughs> how, did you, what, how did you make that mistake? Give me 30 seconds on that because i got to break again. Sure, sure. Uh, the dirty secret is that... I just followed my passions. My passions at the time was the intersection of technology and photography, and I found that the best camera wasn't something on a shelf or some expensive piece of equipment, but the best camera was the one that's with you. And in 2009, it sounds obvious now, but in 2007, 8, 9, um, that was very revolutionary. It doesn't matter what, that the camera has, you know, at that point, a half a megapixel because... Story, you know, photographs aren't about megapixels and dynamic range. They're about stories and moments. And I just saw a world where the world was going to communicate through images and videos, you know, much sooner than the rest of the world saw it. Created the first app. It was number one in the App Store and app mm. of the year for, mm. for iTunes and the New York Times and Wired Magazine, etc. Mm. And then uh, I hold blew it. it. Hold it. Hold it. I want to hear how you blew it and how you recovered from it. We're talking to Chase Jarvis. He just told us the dirty secret of his billion-dollar mistake, and I think it's more like $10 billion. We'll take a break. It is Entrepreneur Radio. Be right back. Entrepreneur Radio. Here's Alan Taylor. Special guest today, my friend Jay, uh, Chase Jarvis, and he is the founder and CEO of Creative Live. And it's and he's he's like his time is not his own. He's got twelve people with machine guns pointing at him. Another call lined up right behind me. So I'm trying to be very mindful of the time. All right, so you made a billion dollar mistake. 
And and it really wasn't so much a mistake, but I guess you probably call it that because you you think to yourself, well, I could be on an island somewhere in the middle of the Pacific enjoying life right now. But, you know, you could be on an island in the middle of the Pacific enjoying life because you're Chase Jarvis, because you learn from that mistake. That's true. That's true. And and I yeah, I think it's maybe a little bit cliche to talk about failure being lovely. And so I don't want to over glamorize it. And I also don't want to talk about being, it's not like someone, I had a billion dollars in my pocket and right. pulled it out and like gave it away. It's just a classic story of being first, being, you know, at, on top of the pile at that time and knowing how to get there and sort of squandering the success or the cash out, if you will, because of personal barriers, barriers that were keeping me, you know, things that were in my psychology about what it meant to be an artist versus an entrepreneur. And now today, for example, I know those are the same thing because I thought I was compromising my values by not selling the asset that I had created. Right. And what we're referring to basically is, is having the first iPhone app that shared photos to social networks, you know, a year and a half before Instagram and, uh, mm. and what they had created is a brilliant team, but they, Lift, it's a lift and stamp copy of Creative Live. They did an amazing job of wow. executing in a world where I was paralyzed and moving slowly with some, you know, for some reasons that you should just go read the blog post on my, on com slash blog if you want to figure that out. But yeah. ultimately, it was incredibly helpful because I leveraged everything that I learned there into creativelive.com, which, which is, that's my main focus right now. And it's good. We got 10 million students. Yeah. If you want to learn from the world's top experts, that's, that's, where to go. And we've been working on that for the last five years or so. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have you part of this show and Entrepreneur Network. We do the uh, daily creatives. We take some of your questions and play them on this show. And a lot of the audiences have heard them. So I wanted to get this time with you. Future of education. Uh, yes. you, you have some interesting thoughts on that. Share them, please. Yeah. Well, if you look backwards, a quick synopsis, the, the education system that we know is quote, school and K through 12 and even, you know, higher ed, they were based largely on completely antiquated, out of date, like thinking and technology. They were based on the factory, which is, you know, it was a Prussian model of you put kids in at a certain age and you, you grind them, you teach them certain things at a certain age and everyone, like, go, you take raw material, stuff it in one end and, and you feed them a, a certain things and at the end you're making widgets, basically a bunch of things that are the same. And the interesting thing about trying to educate on a factory sort of timeline model is that you do, you end up making widgets. And those are people who think the same, say the same. And that was very helpful and useful when we were in the world where factories were valued deeply. And today we're much more in the information space and it doesn't matter what color your collar is. It's, and it's sure there's still all kinds of hands-on work. I don't want to denigrate the factory, but there are way more jobs outside the factory than in it. And so we need an education system that's a much more dynamic one, not like the one that our kids are currently in. And, and they, you know, we can say a bunch of good things. My wife is a public school teacher for years and years, and anyone who does that as a profession should get a huge pat on the back. But it's the system that we can't really escape that we're trying to reshape with Creative Live. And that's, that's sort of the, the going forward. If we, if we put a pin in that looking backwards and we start going forward, what does education look like? I think people will be surprised to understand that college is not going away, but the, the amount of people who are going to go to college and get value from it is rapidly shrinking. Student debt is growing. It's $1.3 which is bigger than credit card debt in our country, in the U.S., that is. 
and that's just totally unacceptable. So we're going to see a massive shattering and reworking of the system and where all of those, that education is going to leave schools per se and go into two areas. One, you know, platforms like Creative Live and other online learning. And also education is going to go to where you get products and services. So that's not to say that your eight, you know, your eight or 10 year old son or daughter is going to learn, you know, from Apple or are going to learn at the Toys R Us store. But those are increasingly going to play a larger role in the education of our kids. We will have a school infrastructure, but I'm really talking about not the babysitting years from 6 to 18, but what does it look like to be a lifelong learner when you're going to have to continue to get new skills? And that's all going to be decentralized, tool-empowered, and at the hands, you know, largely self-directed. And that's one of the things I want the people on on the other end of this show to, to grasp, that you are in charge of your own education. You don't have to go get a piece of paper. That's not what education is going to be in the future. It's going to be about what did you learn from who in what sort of rich environment and what have you done. The future of the resume is way more like a portfolio than a list of paper, and it certainly is not going to be where you went to school. Any of the top companies that are – if you require a piece of paper to be a doctor or lawyer, yes, you have to go to school. Right. Facebook, Amazon, Google, none of them care. Ernst & Young, the most conservative accounting firm, there are more things these days, but they announced publicly this year, not too long ago, that they're no longer considering college as a requirement to work at Ernst & Young. All right, well, listen, I'll tell you what, I want to send everybody to uh, creativelive.com. It is the world's largest live streaming creative education website, and we're talking to the founder and CEO of Creative Live, a man who is... He is a media maven. And uh, with that, I have to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, you guys can hear more of him every week in the last segment of this show. Um, He does his daily creative answers, your questions. Chase Jarvis, thank you again. Alan, appreciate being on the show, man. I'm a listener and a fan. I thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Again, Chase Jarvis live show, the podcast, Chase Jarvis raw. It's all things Chase Jarvis. Go check it out at Creative Live. I'm Alan Taylor. We'll be right back with more Entrepreneur Radio right here on your radio show and your radio station. Be right back. This is Entrepreneur Radio. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. So how do you take a company that everybody has a perception of how it should be in their own mind? Uh, For instance, wine. You know, you buy wine in a bottle and maybe in a box. But this next guest, Ryan Harms, owner uh, and winemaker of Union Wine Company in Oregon, uh, decided maybe things should be a little different. And we're going to hear about his story and his journey. And he's on the line with us right now. So, Ryan, first of all, I I know the the story a little bit because I read up on you and I've actually tasted the wine. Uh, Your company graciously sent me a box of four different uh, varieties of wine, and I took them to a wedding over the weekend. And I I let my friends try them because, you know, your friends will tell you the truth, right? And everybody had big smiles like, this is cool. So, first of all, a can of wine, I think a can of beer, you know, a can of soda, but a can of wine. I want to know where where did this start for you? the The story is is sometimes uh, you know a great place to start with this. But give it to us. Yeah. So 
maybe just a quick step back. We started in 2005, and from 2005 until 2013, we were just focused on selling wine, making wine in glass, you know, in bottles. And in 2013, we were getting ready to do plant, doing some planning for a food event that's based here in Portland called Feast. And one of the ideas that we'd been kicking around was, you know, how do we bring wine with us on these adventures that we have in this, this great state of Oregon that, we, you know, we all call home. And there's just places where glass doesn't make sense. You know, it's just not logical either to bring it because of the risk of it breaking or just the weight and maybe inconvenience that the bottle represents. Right. And so we had talked about the idea of cans and, and we're watching what was happening in the craft brew industry and these small breweries here in the Portland Metro that were starting to can their products. And so we started talking to one of the guys who does mobile canning and he said, yeah, I could help you guys do wine. We, we could figure that out. And, and it just kind of all came together from, I guess, the, a business that could come in and provide the service and some of the technical know-how for us to us looking at this marketing opportunity. And we we're trying to say, you know, how could we go into this culinary event in the fall and kind of be disruptive and make some noise and, you know, raise some eyebrows maybe, and then kind of solve a problem that we had for ourselves, which was, you know, wine wasn't necessarily coming along with us on these adventures that we were having here in, in the great outdoors in Oregon. Right. And, uh, Come uh, August 2013, we uh, canned some Pinot Noir and in September went to the feast event. And it was definitely, you know, some raised eyebrows, some questions, but people also (laughs) got it. And it was pretty awesome to have um, all these folks coming through to taste at our, where we were set up at these events and get their reaction firsthand. And we knew soon after that from the media attention and the feedback we were getting that uh, we needed to just go as fast as we could to bring this to be a commercial product. And, and by June of 2014, we were selling uh, wine in a can uh, through our distribution network. I love it. And, and am I reading this right that you guys this year will sell more than 4.2 million cans in five different varieties? Yeah, that, that oh, number sounds right. Um, <laughs> it, you know, for uh, in that first year, which was only about six months, it was you know five percent of our business, roughly. Right. This year, it's going to be about fifty percent, based on our sales trends. It'll be about fifty percent of our business. Um, we've been experiencing triple-digit growth, and granted, it was off of a small base originally, but now it's become much more significant and is a big, healthy piece of of our overall business. So uh, this is so this is so fun to to hear. I'll tell you why. You said, you know, people raise their eyebrows and and listen, in the wine and cheese crowd, that can be a bad thing like, you know, oh, he's just destroyed his whole life doing this. Or it yep. could that could be what you want to hear because maybe you're not you're not actually interested in selling wine to the wine and cheese crowd. Maybe you're interested in selling wine 
to the whatever they call that crowd that goes hiking and fishing and canoeing and living an extreme lifestyle of having fun and won't take a bottle of wine with them, even though they would love to. And that's what you you accidentally came across because what was what, what do they, they they say the necessity is the mother of invention, right? And you were doing it because yep. it was the easiest way, and it gave birth to this now four point two million cans this year, obviously. That has its own set of issues as well, because you're having to innovate in an industry that doesn't like so much innovation. I, I think maybe yep. I say that. And I'm not a big wine and cheese guy. I don't drink that much wine, even though you know, I have lots and lots of friends that do. I just have never been a person that, you know, I don't I don't drink beer. I don't drink that much wine. That's why I needed to take it with my friends and say, you guys tell me, you know, tastes good to me, but I don't know good wine from not good wine. You know what I mean? And everybody yep. was like, they raised their eyebrows in a positive way. Guess what? The crowd I was at was a wedding. Everybody was in shorts and T-shirts, and, and it was like it was the extreme lifestyle. They're all going kayaking and canoeing and hiking the later on that day. They were all pleasantly surprised at what you had done. Yeah, I think there's a – for us, there's certainly a part of our approach to marketing, our branding, that is – trying to break some of the norms that or kind of common conventions that are in the wine industry. So, and we were trying to, we had that perspective with our bottle business and the can is probably just a incredible extension of that. You know, we have this saying, you know, this phrase that we use all the time, pinkies down. And, you know, I think one of the things that, um, especially as a young guy coming up in the wine business, I, from Oregon, really felt passionate about trying to make sure that we had great quality products that were accessible, and that's accessible both in terms of the style of the wine, but also the price point. You know, that's kind of, a, I guess, a premise that's built into the DNA of Union Wine Company. Right. And our Underwood brand's uh, a great vehicle for that. Um, it's Oregon fruit from around the state, and we make enough of it that it can be distributed out across the country. And so from my vantage point, it's a great way to introduce people to the great wines that are being produced here in Oregon and kind of uh, a gateway wine, if you will. Mm. And the cans are, you know, the same quality wine that goes into the bottle goes into the can. And I think for me, the can was just this great intersection of, you know, bringing that marketing idea home, you know, it's unpretentious, you can't swirl it, um, <laughs> you're not sitting there trying to figure out in a crowd whether I'm holding my glass correctly and do I look like I know what I'm doing. Right. We, I think we all have been around cans enough that we have this understanding of uh, or comfort with them. And I thought that was an awesome opportunity for, for wine. Awesome. Uh, we're going to uh, come back and talk more about Union Wine Company's successful rebranding. Uh, it's a new category. Uh, who are the competitors out there? And uh, what kind of challenges have you faced along the way? Ryan Harms talking to us, owner and winemaker. Union Wine Company, this is Entrepreneur Radio. Stay tuned. There's more Entrepreneur Radio after these messages. This is Entrepreneur Radio. Thanks for hanging with us. We're talking a little wine. I, I 
you know, I, every now and then I see a story and I go, you know what? That's cool. That guy's got to have some uh, growing pains. He's gone from, uh, you know, making wine, selling it in bottles to uh, changing the industry and, and kind of pioneering selling wine in a can. 4.2 million cans this year, to be exact. Five different varieties. Uh, Union Wine Company, Ryan Harms, joining us. And am I saying that right? Is is the uh, the wine that people will find, is it also part of Union Wine Company, Ryan? Yes, that's right. Um, Union Wine Company is Underwood, uh, which has both bottles and cans, uh, Kings Ridge and Alchemist. And then I have some other ventures uh, partnered with my brother. We have another brand called Christopher Michael. And we bought Amity Vineyards, which is one of the original founding wineries of the Oregon wine business a couple of years ago. So we have lots of projects to keep us busy. Nice. Uh, how about, is this a new category? Are there competitors with selling wine in a can? Absolutely. It is, you know, I think when we first started out, it certainly was in the category. It's a category, category of one. You know, we were one of the only nationally distributed can products that was out there. And today there's definitely a lot more competition either already in the market or certainly coming into the market. And right now I've been feeling like that's actually really positive. It is solidifying that wine in a can is actually a category. Right. And I think we've needed some additional competition to just raise awareness of, uh, of this as alternative packaging. Yeah. So, so far I, I feel good about you know, seeing additional competition. And I know at some point that's going to you know, take away business or opportunities from us, but I, I still think that's healthy uh, at this point in time. I'll tell you what's healthy is the fact that uh, I call him and, and he's in the process of moving from his 1500 square foot office to their new 5,000 square foot office because they need space. And right now he's in his private office, his car, which is perfect, right? You're in that growing um, phase of your business where there's growing pains, you know? So here, here's a question for you. You know, with this growth that you're experiencing, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, you guys are killing it. And it's it, it may continue. You may have to go from 5,000 to 25,000 square feet, right? I mean, so what are you doing to keep yourself, you know, I mean, where is your Zen spot? Where, where do you, where do you go? Is it the car? Is it, I mean, do you go for a hike in the woods? How do you find clarity in all this growth and all this business? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question because I think that's it. It's something for the first time this past year, I've probably really been facing more than I can ever recall in my career. The last couple of years, the growth and everything that was happening, probably there was so much excitement around it. You were just in that moment. Right. And I think now we've hit more of the, this is all happening. It's getting bigger. It's getting more complex. There's more demands. And, and that question probably is more important to me today than it ever has been. I'm definitely a, a guy who likes to get to the gym. I know that's a, a good place for me to lift some weights and uh, put myself through some workouts to just, I, you know, I guess at the end of the day, kind of doing the right things for my health. And uh, that's both my physical and mental health. Right. One of my other favorite places to go here at the winery is we have some large outdoor storage tanks. They're about 40 feet off the ground. Each tank holds about 40,000 gallons of wine. And 
at the end of the day out here, um, you know, we're not in scenic wine country. We're in this industrial area here in Tualatin, but right across the street is a wildlife refuge. And so we're right on that edge of being out in kind of farm country. And I can go up to the top of the catwalks there and just spend some time kind of looking over everything that we've built, but also just kind of taking in the views from up there. And sometimes that's just a great place to kind of sneak away to be able to think and have a little quiet time. That's your meditation place. Good for you. Exactly. All right. We're going to have one more segment with you. When we come back, I want to ask you to put on the uh, professor's cap and, and maybe dig into yourself and you have a commercial break to think about it and help others that have, you know, because we have a lot of listeners and a lot of folks that are entrepreneurs that are, or even in business that are, find themselves in the place that you're at right now, extreme growth and to whom much is given, much is expected. And maybe to give a little bit of advice on how to deal with this extra added stress that is the kind of stress we all pray for. And as I've said before, we have to be careful what we pray for because sometimes we get it. And then we're like, holy mackerel, hold on, baby, because here we go. This is called being an entrepreneur. Uh, once again, you can check out this company online, unionwinecompany.com. Ryan Harms is the owner and winemaker, and their uh, new Underwood label, Killing It, Wine in Cans. We'll take a little break. This is Entrepreneur Radio. Be right back. Get the latest issue of Entrepreneur Magazine delivered right to your door. Visit entrepreneur.com and subscribe today. Entrepreneur Radio. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. Well, Ryan Harms, his wine company, the Union Wine Company, now, this year, will produce 4.2 million cans of wine. And each each can of wine is about, it's about a half a bottle. Is that what it is, Ryan? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you take a couple of cans in your backpack and, and uh, you get out there. And it's uh, to me, it's, it's a wonderful thing, especially being from Oregon. You and I are both from Oregon. We're on different sides of the state. But uh, I love the outdoor and the outdoor life, too. And my family and my kids are all into that. So now I asked you to kind of put on the uh, professor's cap as this is Entrepreneur Radio. And, you know, each day when you wake up, when your company is growing you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, Ryan, and you know that. And everybody that works for you looks up to you and, Ryan, what are we going to do today? Ryan, how are we going to fix this problem? So I guess I want to ask you, you know, what are the principles of your life that you you lean on when those times come, when you know you don't know the answer right now, but damn it, you're going to find it by the end of the hour or the end of the day? Yeah, that's a good one. I think, first and foremost, hard work. Nothing gets done without the hard work and staying true to who you are and the values that, you know, you have in your business and that those are all central to it. But I think when it comes to making decisions, for me, there's a lot of gathering information and then ultimately that kind of gut instinct. Yeah. We jumped off on doing cans 
was all based on gut. There was no empirical data. There wasn't market testing. There weren't huge budgets. It was looking at what was going on in the market, kind of reading the tea leaves, if you will, and then uh, using our gut to make a decision that this was a good investment for us. We did a lot to mitigate risk through that and try to make sure that if something did go wrong, that it wasn't a big enough failure on our part that it would put the business at risk. But it, it definitely came from the gut. And I think the other thing, too, I've learned over the last couple of years, especially, is really trying to invest and have great people around you. The team that I had starting Union, starting to evolve now, I really brought some great people, I think, in early. And that really helped, especially when there are things that, you know, every entrepreneur can't know all the answers to all the questions. And so I think if you have people around you, whether they work for you or within kind of a board or advisory board kind of group, that that also is key because you can tap into someone's knowledge in a specific area and get their experience and then apply, you know, your situation. And then from my vantage point, kind of your instincts and your gut to be able to help answer the the question at hand. I love it, brother. I'll tell you why. Those are the God-given principles of every entrepreneur. Hard work, staying true to your values, gather the information you need, mitigate risk, invest in good people, and at the end of the day, go with your gut. That's called being an entrepreneur. That's fantastic. Congratulations. And I'll tell you what. Just stay true to that. Take good care of yourself, as I I think you and I maybe during the commercial break talked about making sure you work out and and take care of yourself. Because a friend just recently called and said, you know, one of my buddies just passed away of a heart attack. He's 47 years old. And I said, man, that's way, way too early. He says, I know. He goes, and I'm mad at him because he didn't take good care of himself. And as I say that, I'm going, yeah, I know. I got to eat better. I got to eat better. <laughs> but it's a constant thing, you know? I mean, we live in a, in a world today where, I, you know, my dad's 89. He's going to be 90 his next birthday. He's still working five and six days a week. He takes good care of himself. He works out. But he lives by those same exact principles that truly are put in your heart. You know, work hard. We know it says by the sweat off your brow shall you earn your bread. These are things that are put in your heart by the creator. Stay true to your values. Gather the information. Mitigate risk. Invest in good people. I love this stuff. But at the end of the day, go with your gut. And I love that, man. That's awesome. Congratulations. Oregon wine. Why? Why? What is happening with Oregon? Why is Oregon such a great place? Is it the next Napa in your opinion? I think... Part of what's going on with Oregon right now is across the country, there's a, a trend to look at you know things that are local, understand where they come from, and so much of that here, somehow Oregon seems to have cornered the market yeah. on that. And so I think the country's kind of looking that way, and, and wine's going right along with it. Fantastic. Taste and preferences for the type of wines we make, those are all going right along with it. So I think there's a lot of great things uh, in the future and happening for Oregon right now. Beautiful. Ryan Harms. UnionWineCompany.com. Um, keep up the good work, brother. Thanks, Al. All right, that's it for this issue of uh, the Entrepreneur Radio. We go like a magazine, like an issue, one podcast, one radio broadcast at a time. I'm Alan Taylor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This program is copyrighted by Entrepreneur Media Incorporated.